My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 4 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. You're very welcome everybody to this week's podcast. I'm sure you're all chomping at the bit to get back out onto the trails, onto the mountains, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll all get there very, very soon. In the meantime, we have a great podcast lined up for you this week. We have news of a $1 billion trail running race from Tennessee in the United States of America, and news of a $100,000 real trail running race in the Azori Islands in Portugal at the end of October. We've got Rene Borg with us as always to give us some great tips on how to get to our races in September and October in the best possible shape and we talk with Ireland's number one ranked trail runner over the last couple of years Paddy O'Leary who has some incredible stories to tell of his many adventures all around the world racing on the trails everybody get your running gear on let's go Everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all in good form, in good shape, injury free, and enjoying your training as much as we possibly can at the moment. We've got a really good show lined up for you today, guys. We hope you enjoy it and make sure to tune in to our chat with Paddy O'Leary later on as he tells us some fascinating stories of his adventures all around the world running on the trails, as well as some fascinating work that he's doing with COVID 19 from his base in San Francisco in the United States of America at the moment. We're shortly going to go to Rory Long, our man on the ground, to see what's happening fixtures-wise. But before we do, once again, a thank you to our podcast sponsor, Ecotrail Wicklow. They're great sponsors of the show. They give us great support. And without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Um, a reminder that Ecotrail Wicklow is on at the end of September in Bray, County Wicklow. You have four distances to choose from. The 18K, 29K, 45K, or the one that's very popular so far this year is the 80K, which very very soon are going to put up a limited numbers available sign um, on the website I believe from talking to the race director Paul Mahan so if you want to sign up guys do get onto the laptop get onto your phone and get one of the race entries while they're still available at the moment we very much have a green light for the event in Bray there will of course be new protocols and safety measures in place but fingers crossed the country will continue on its positive um, path that we're on at the moment and we'll be all able to enjoy a wonderful day as we did last year in Bray County Wicklow. So let's get on with the podcast everybody. Let's go and talk to our man on the ground, Irish International and winner of last year's Eco Trail 28k, Rory Long. Rory Long, our man on the ground. You're very welcome to episode four, Rory. And Rory, tell us what's going on with the racing calendar at the moment. Hi, Owen. How are you doing? Good, Rory. Not too bad. Just still trying to adapt to, you know, post-lockdown life here in Spain. Uh, I'll have a chat with Rennie maybe later on about just the training. Rennie's going to talk about how to adapt for our, our racing schedule for late autumn whether we should just keep on training hard, whether we should be going for a general build-up period, 
I tried to, to get my general build-up phase right coming out of lockdown, but just did a bit too much too soon. Worry, so struggling with a couple of niggles at the moment. Um, so just a little bit of patience required for maybe a week or two before I can get going and just take it a little bit easier. Because at the end of the day, eight weeks cycling on a bike on your roof, um, it's a different set of muscles to running on the road and the trails. So I probably just need to be a little bit more patient with the body. It's funny you mention that because I think I'm actually dealing with a slight niggle in my ankle as well. and I've just come off the bike now as well. I think it's like probably personally, I feel like it's a great time to enjoy a bit of cross training and just take it a little bit easy while you're still training a bit. Um, like I did an uphill time trial on Tuesday, but then I'm just trying to like reduce the impact afterwards and just relax a little bit as well. Yeah, well, I know you've got a lot of friends in Imra. Are there any, um, any news from Imra over the last week or two? Yes, indeed. So the first thing I'd like to mention is um, following the Imra lockdown events uh, from the virtual relay to the lockdown challenge, it's actually led to a donation of €2,640 by Imra to St. Joseph's in Dublin. And it's, it's a really great cause. Several family members of the trail running and Imra community have been cared for there. Um, and I think it was really, really fantastic uh, to see the community come together and have such a sizable donation in the lockdown period. No, great. Um, are they doing any virtual races at the moment, um, Rory? Any, any IMRA virtual races? Yeah, so there is another IMRA virtual race coming up, uh, I think, over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a 5K this time. Um, and I guess kind of in terms of IMRA fixtures, the one IMRA fixture that seems to be getting a lot of talk about right now is the Morris Mullins Trail and Ultra, which are currently being scheduled for the 3rd and 4th of October. But there's an interesting point that there's actually quite a number of clashing races on that weekend already. Um, you've got you've got a couple of three-quarter marathons, you've got the Dublin Novice XC, and even the trials for the World Mountain Running Championships all on the same weekend. So things are already heating up for the autumn fixtures. So I might just say it's a really quite a good time to think about the races you want to run, think about the races that you might be interested in trying to get an entry for. And with the recent cancellation of the Dublin Marathon as well, you know, entries for trail races could sort of be in, in short supply soon. So just something to think about uh, in the few weeks going forward. I know from looking at the international trail running calendar, October is absolutely chock-a-block. And you wanted to mention a race at the end of October that looks extremely interesting. Yes, so uh, maybe listeners have heard of the, the Golden Trail World Series. It's uh, the series of the most competitive trail running races in the world. And it kind of attracts the best athletes to the sport. Um, and in 2020, the, the Golden Trail World Series was obviously cancelled, but... And they want to have the Golden Trail World Championships is going to be tested at the Azores Trail Run stage race on the 29th of October to the 1st of November, which is a multi-day stage event. But what's amazing is a 100,000 euro prize pool, which is a really significant amount of money for a trail running competition. And it really should help kick start the sport back into the 2021 season. It looks absolutely spectacular, Rory. I know there's six and a half thousand dollars, I think, for first place. $5,000 for second to fifth, then two and a half for sixth to tenth. They've got a prize money, I think $1,000 for the best climbers, the best descenders. And I think it is open to anybody. They do have a select um, group of professional athletes that they're going to invite. But at the moment, I think the series is open to anybody. So if you fancy traveling about 1,500 kilometers west of Lisbon into the North Atlantic Ocean, you know, if, if travel restrictions are lifted and we're all in a good place, what a way to spend the final weekend in October. Yeah, I was going to mention that, like, uh, there is a Golden Trail National Series in the UK, but as far as I know, there actually is no Irish athlete competing regularly on these series races. 
uh, both Zach Hanna and Sarah McCormick have raced as part of the series, um, races like Sierra's and Al. But it will be a big goal, I think, to get an Irish runner to actually maybe in the future finish enough races to score in a series like this, especially with the things like prize money coming through. You know, it really is uh, going to, in the long term, really promote and develop the sport of trail running for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we just mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of professional trail runners um, around the globe at the moment as well. And it's something that I'm looking forward to talking to Paddy O'Leary about later on. Paddy, of course, is a North Face athlete. So for any young runners that are out there that, you know, want to try and make a bit of a name for themselves in trail running, there's opportunities there with a lot of the sponsors, a lot of the brands. So who knows? You, you might end up with a with a whole van full of uh, free trail running shoes coming your way if you play your cards right. You wouldn't um, say no to anything that. Else for you, anything else for you that you wanted to touch on? I guess as well, yeah, with the recent cancellation of UTMB, but I know that uh, might be something more up your own alley. Yeah, it, it was. The announcement came through there about a week and a half ago, Rory. Um, I think everybody knew it was coming, despite Catherine Poletti saying that she was going to do everything possible to make sure that the race went on this year. At the end of the day, if you have 10,000 runners from you know over 100 countries from all around the world, partners go to it, sponsors go to it, all the volunteers... You're talking more than 50,000 people descending on a relatively small mountainous village, Chamonix. So it just wasn't feasible. It wasn't without its controversy, the cancellation, because they only decided to return to the entered runners 55% of the race entry fee. And they got absolutely slaughtered, Rory, on social media from um, hundreds of people complaining about not getting 100% refund. I mean, you look at our own Dublin Marathon there, straight away they were 100% refund. I know with Eco Trail, if there's any um, problems in terms of the race cancellation, Eco Trail have already said that they would give 100% refund. So there was a lot of question marks, and I think a bit more transparency was looked for from the trail runners that were entered. Um, it, it, with the race being cancelled, um, runners who had entered this year, they can choose to um, save their entry for 2021, 2022 or 2023. So there is a bit of flexibility there. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people just thought that with such a big organisation, they could have been a little bit more generous with the, with the entry fee refund. And I'm sure it's probably quite a tricky race. It's just in the size and the scope of UTMB. I haven't been there myself and witnessed it. You know, it's such an amazing race, but I guess they see a future and I, you have to have a little bit of sympathy for the organising committee as well. It's such a complex and difficult job on their hands. Yeah, no, it is. And they do have 15 full-time members there as well. They're, they're there working all year round. So they obviously do have a, a big fixed expense, all right. Um, another interesting one, Rory, that I came across was the Las Lake Tennessee Virtual Race. Um, it's a 1,000-kilometer race running across the state of Tennessee. And we've mentioned virtual races a couple of times in the podcast over the last couple of episodes. But this one is a virtual race like no other, Rory. They have 18,000 runners signed up. And at the moment, the Irish team is coming second in terms of the international competition. So we've got a, a couple of great ultra runners that are doing very, very well. Simon Kelly, our friend of the show down in Waterford, Waterford Trail Running Festival, he's there battling away, getting through the 1,000 kilometres. Um, 
But just to, to mention some of the, the numbers, a thousand kilometers, you have, I think, until the start of August to get through it. 18,000 runners at $60 a head. So the race organizer, the same guy who organizes the Barkley Marathon, Gary Cantrell, he's taken in over a million dollars for a virtual race. So, I mean, for any entrepreneurs out there or any race organizers who are struggling a bit at the moment, there you go. A million dollars if you can get your numbers right. That's crazy. I mean, I think um, with the Barkley Marathons and being having the Laz's name on the on the on the virtual race, I guess you're going to attract quite a lot of people. But I mean, still, you know, that's a, a millionaire overnight from trail running. So I guess they can't complain. He can't complain anyway. We're in the wrong part of uh, the trail running business, Rory. But listen, uh, not to worry, Rory. Thanks a million for getting in touch this week again. Thanks a million for the updates. And yeah, I think the message to everybody is that it looks like the racing calendar in September and October it's going to be pretty crowded and i wouldn't be surprised if you see some sold out signs and um, going up in some of the smaller races as well so um plan ahead and get your race entry and fingers crossed we all get back racing come september and october exactly thanks so much Owen. talk to you soon talk to you next time rory take care bye bye Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And we've just heard the voices of the Irish International Trail and Mountain Running Team. Athletes who have achieved their dreams over the last couple of years of representing their country in the biggest international and mountain running competitions. And this is the part of the show where we want you, the listeners, to achieve your dreams as well. And to help you along the way, we've called in our mountain and trail running expert coach, Rene Borg. Rene, very welcome to the show. Thank you, Owen. How are you? Good, Rene, good. Just trying to get back into the groove myself, Rene, with my own training. Um, as yourself and the listeners know, I had eight weeks where I couldn't train over here in Spain. And once I was allowed back outside, um, I was trying to implement what we're going to talk about today, the, the whole base period, general phase. But Rene, I made the mistake of trying to do too much too soon. Even though I was very much aware of what I needed to do, to do to run slowly, consistently for a number of weeks to allow the body to adapt after the eight weeks out. But it was just too aggressive a change over, Rennie, from being on my indoor bike for eight weeks to trying to run again. And I should have given myself a bit more time. Something that I think you're going to talk about today. Yeah, so um, we, last week, if you, as you, you know, hopefully some of the listeners on this call remember, we talked about, you know, this whole concept that you can divide training into three periods, you know, like an ice hockey game. So you have the general training and what I call race practice training. Some people call it more specific training. And then you have the competition period, when, which is when you do all your races. Um, and in a way, you know, it's, it sounds like you kind of skipped skipped ahead a little bit you know maybe not in intention but at least in 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 kind of the the sort of paces and intensities you were doing on um without knowing the details but i was just thinking there of a good story that might help people think about this which is um a british runner in the 50s called gordon Peary. he wrote a book about running um 
where he said if you were an alien who came to Earth and you knew absolutely nothing about training um, for what would work for running, you might think that the best thing to do is, you know, just go out every day and try to run as hard as you intend to do on race day and hold that for as long as possible, you know, because that would be the most specific thing you could do. Uh, and he goes on to say that, unfortunately, we all know from experience that if you do that, um, it doesn't end very well. You know, usually after a few days or if you're really tough after a few weeks, you tend to be completely broken. Um, so that's not what we're going to recommend on this podcast. I, I totally understand that story, Renny, because I, I'll tell you my own funny version of that is back in 2004 when I retired from football early as a 24-year-old and started training for the Dublin Marathon. For about eight weeks, I tried to run the same distance faster every day. And for, for the most part, I nearly did. But as you said, you know, it's just not sustainable. You're, you're starting at such a low base, so your body adapts quickly, but then you just hit a limit. And if you're not careful, if you don't get a proper plan in place, you'll just break down. Um, so, so tell us how we should go about defining what this base period, Rene, should be. Yeah, so the, the base period or the general period, basically, there's a, there's a catchphrase we call train don't strain which kind of is the number one rule for that whole period and because what you're really trying to do is you're going to try you're you're training to train and that means you're training to train more later so you're really just preparing and buying as we said the building blocks that you want to put together later in harder training so you're preparing your body for the the rigors to come and that is a bit counterintuitive as a process because it actually requires that you do training that for the most part, it's what is called sub-maximal. That means you're not going to the well, you know, to use an Irish phrase. You're not every day going out there trying to empty the tank uh, and leaving yourself as an exhausted wreck on the couch. Because if you do that every night, after a day or two, what you explained happens, you are not able to perform. Um, you are so tired or sore that your run paces start dropping or you get little niggles or you get so tired you can't even summon up the motivation to go train and that's obviously a problem because we as we have i think mentioned already a few times in these four episodes consistency is king you know the main way to build any kind of physical response is to do something many times you know it's not enough to do it once or twice or three times it has to be repeated so really the main goal of a uh, general period is to tell the body we're going to be doing something we're going to be doing it regularly and you better get good at doing it because further down the line i'm going to be asking you some bigger questions but first we are we're training we're not straining um this thing is there's there's a good bit you could say about the general phase and you know such as we know that volume is really really important you know the more volume you can teach yourself to tolerate without breaking down generally the better your results will be so it's good to have a general period that is quite uh, voluminous and um, although you know that's always relative to where you are but instead of going straight down you know talking about what i think you can read in nearly any training article any training book we wanted to make sure that we talked about what's actually the difference between doing general training for a trail and a mountain race versus doing it for a road or a track race, or even a cross-country race, because obviously they are, there is some very some big differences, um, and I th hope that a lot of the people listening in are, you know, maybe first timers or relatively new to the trails, and they are thinking about this question because, 
I think a lot of people coming into trail running, they begin on the streets. Uh, and that's their main experience with running. You know, it is wearing the, the nice uh, running shoes on hard pavements and hard roads and, the, and what that brings with it. Um, so we wanted to say the two differences to pay attention to, even when you start the journey towards the race, which is still far away, you know, we're still looking at mid-August for the first races, yeah. is the vertical which is a fancy term that has, you know, it, it obviously has a meaning in English, but it has, it's a word they love to use in the continent for all their races uh, because it's the uphill and the downhill. It's the total uphill and downhill that your race is going to um, challenge you with. So, for instance, if you're running um, an Imra race here mid-August like Galtimore, then you have to live with about 1,000 meters up more, actually. I think it's nearly 1,200 meters up and 1,200 meters down. So 2,400 meters of vertical meters that you can add on top of the challenge of running the 13 kilometers of that race. Yeah. And for our sponsors, EcoTrail, you know, even if you do the shortest race, you have to run 18 kilometers flat, but you also need to run 700 meters up and 700 meters down. So you need to make sure you have a way to prepare the body for the challenges of that from the beginning. And then there's the terrain, because running on a surface that is not a paved road or a pavement challenges the body in, in a different way. So I kind of just wanted to dive into those two a little bit. So to say, how can you put them in from the start? And sure. if, we have any if we have any time left then on at the end, we might throw a few more general rules for, for general training into the mix as well. Sure. Um, on the vertical, Rene, can I ask that if we are pre preparing for our trail and mountain races in September, October, at the start now in our general um, phase, do we go straight into the mountains or do we need to do three or four weeks on the flat to get our body mechanics used to running, to running long and um, getting used to the kilometers? Or do you think it's OK to actually go in week one of our base period? Yeah, we go straight into the mountains. We run slowly, but yeah, we start climbing. You could probably get away with what you describe at the end on, I think for a lot of runners that are completely new blank slate, um, it, it wouldn't harm them. I would say to, to start just with a few kind of flat runs. So, you know, even if you run in Dublin, there's obviously a few little Hills, you know, you can't completely avoid it. It wouldn't be a bad thing to just start with that because the problem that total beginners have with Hills is that the moment they hit a Hill, they have to walk straight away, you know, otherwise the heart rate just spikes. Uh, so if that's your fitness level, a few weeks of just getting used to running could be a good idea, you know, because you might feel very demoralized otherwise. Um, but we don't have that long now uh, for the races in August. So I'm just, if I'm assuming that people have a little bit of running background, if they're doing races in two or three months time, yeah. there is no harm adding a little bit of climb at this stage because there is a, a protect, the, the good thing about uphill is there's less stress in the body. You know, it, the muscles have to work harder, but in terms of the impact, there's actually less. Um, so if you can learn to pace yourself from the beginning and you can learn to tell yourself that it's not a defeat if I have to do some walking here, you know, because in most races, even at the top end of the field, there can be gradients uh, where you have to walk. So that's a skill that you kind of need to acquire from the beginning. Um, and, and, even, and even walking, Rennie, I mean, your heart rate is still going to be quite high as if you're running on the flat. Um, as we mentioned, heart rate there, Rennie, during this base period, 
you said earlier that it was very, very important that we're running at a comfortable pace, that our body is able to recover quickly every day. How can we define what comfortable means? Do we go back to the, the, the common running at a conversational pace theory? Or should we be actually be more specific, looking at our heart rate and trying to keep it within that 140 that me and you have often mentioned in our discussions on training, that we keep our heart rate effort below 140 during this pace? Do the two of them work or do we need to be more specific? They, they all work well as rules of thumb, um, but the, the, the problem with heart rate is that it's very individual owned. So, for instance, some people will, will be still very, very comfortable at a heart rate, say, of 155 uh, and, and burning you know, only fat and all those things that happen when the effort is low at a much higher heart rate than you would expect. So for a few people, a rule of thumb like you know, one figure wouldn't be precise enough. But surprisingly, things like watching your breath and your ability to string sentences together, that's actually much more accurate than you might suspect. And the reason is that if you can, let's say you can breathe so easily that you could take in all the air you need through your nose, you know, you barely notice your breathing and you can string long sentences together, you know, you can recite the US constitution or whatnot, then clearly the demand for oxygen inside the body is very, very low. And when the demand for oxygen is very low, we know that the the fuel that's being burned is kind of the long distance fuel, which is, is fat. And that means the intensity is low and what's called the metabolic stress on the body is low. So although it seems very unscientific, it's actually highly scientific if you can learn to listen to your body. And there's even a word for it in physiology, which is they call this the first ventilatory threshold. So that's the first time you notice a change in your breathing. That is when you move from nearly 100% fat burning, as in really easy, into kind of the steady to moderate intensities where you begin to switch on other energy systems, you know, that rely more on sugar. And then there's what they call the second ventilatory threshold, which is when your breathing gets notably quicker and more shallow. And this is when you enter the hard zones, you know, the high intensity where it's nearly there's a lot of oxygen debt, there's a lot of waste products, there's a lot of stress, and you burn a lot of sugar. So they're actually quite um, good old rules, you know, if you can just use your breathing and you have no gadgets to, to help you. And maybe another good tip, Rennie, as well, might be for people to run together in groups or with a friend, because when you are running with other runners, you'll invariably have chats, be talking about the week, the training, upcoming races. So therefore, you will be forced to run that bit slower so you can continue your conversation. Where I know from my own experience, Rennie, when I run on my own, I do tend to just overtrain that little bit because I'm only just focused on my watch, on my training effort. So I do tend to let things go a little bit. Where if I, if I run with friends, if I run in a group, I'm a lot more relaxed. I'm having a chat and therefore running just a little bit easier. Yeah, I think the only warning I want to give anyone listening is just watch your group dynamics because we started small group training ourselves uh, last week down here since the rules have changed. Um, and for some reason, whenever we meet up, uh, we say, we have said, you know, this is just going to be a nice, easy trail run. But if certain individuals are there, and I won't mention their names here, <laughs> for some reason, everything turns into a tempo. 
Well, I can understand that. I remember training with my Raffarnum buddies over the years, Rene, and uh, all of our 1K sessions and tempo sessions would turn into races, and we all ended up injured half the time. So I totally understand that sentiment. Um, but Rene, we're just cutting, running out of time, coming to the end of this, of this section. So was there anything else that you wanted to mention about the general phase just before we sign off? Well, let us just give us the two rules of thumb um, that I really wanted to leave people with in terms of adding in, you know, terrain and vertical. And these are some I stole from a new book that has come out. And I know Sarah actually talked about this on the interview you did with her last week. It's a book um, that's called uh, Training for the Uphill Athlete. So if anyone is looking for a really good guide, uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, but they say as a rule of thumb, if you want to see how much kind of climb you should add into your early weeks start with no more than half of what is in your race so for instance if you were training for the morris mullins 50k there in september it has about 2,000 meters you know you would start try and aim for getting in a thousand meters of climbing in the first week you know and that obviously sounds like a lot but if you're trying to if you're preparing to do 50 kilometers in three or four months time you're obviously not starting from zero you know you will have some kind of background whereas if you're preparing for again the eco trail 18k which has 700 meters climb, you should aim for about 350 to begin with. And the aim is within the end of this general period, get a, a week in, the peak week in terms of volume, where you do the full climb of your race over the course of a week. You know, And that would probably be put into two or three of the runs that you have, because that will then give you a good basis. You know, you, You've told your body, we can do this amount of climbing. We can't yet do it in one day, but we will be... We have exposed ourselves to it. And now as we go into the next phase of training, you know, we are ready to do a bit more climbing, you know, spread over even fewer runs, you know, so a few very hard runs. Um, so unfortunately, we didn't have too much time to talk about terrain here, Owen. So I'll just summarize it very quickly, which is that sure. get in one or two runs in the beginning, if you can, on terrains that are similar to the race that you want to undertake, whether that's hard trail or soft trail. And just remember that when you run on a trail, uh, it has a lot of benefits because there's more variation for the body. It's a more natural kind of surface hardness, but you do get slightly more muscle fatigue because you have to work harder on terrains. You know, so you have to accept your paces are going to be lower. Uh, your recovery might be slightly longer if you do lots of trail runs and you're not used to it. You know, so you need to allow for that early on, you know, either by slowing down or by spreading out your trail runs and having a few road runs, which you're more used to in between, you know, to just allow your muscles to settle down so they're ready and stronger for the next bout. Yeah, and it's great advice, Rene, because I know that if you are patient and you do do it right in the long term, running on trails, running on the mountains, it can really help to avoid injuries as well. And I know since I switched from principally the road to principally the mountains, my injury rate came right down because I was avoiding that constant same impact stride pattern on the roads to when you're on the mountains and the trails as you said you're 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 using different muscle groups all the time so if you can survive that adaptation period in the long term it, it will be great for your legs and avoiding injuries yeah if you just want to give a sales pitch to, or to finish that sales pitch for trail running on if you look at something i think it's concrete or asphalt the, the hardness of that surface is I think it's more than 20 times higher than a hard pack trail. You know, so that, 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 although that gives you a lot of energy return, 
that is a very hard surface for a human leg to strike against you know and so trails are closer to if we want to kind of go from an evolutionary perspective trails are closer to what we our legs probably evolved to deal with and that's probably why we can see that lower injury rate and um, you know a lot of people talk about kenyans that they have the luxury you could say of running on all these dirt roads that they have instead of having to to rely only on on surfaces that were really designed for vehicles not people yeah yeah absolutely well Rene, thanks a million for all that advice again and Rene, just to say we've got some great feedback from some of our listeners they've been really enjoying this section of the show so many thanks Rene, for your contributions each episode we really look forward to episode five when you'll be back with us and if you want to read more of Rene's work you can get him on runningcoach.ie and on running coach ireland on social media Rene, a big thank you as always thank you Owen. Time for our feature interview and podcast four, and I'm really excited about talking to Paddy O'Leary. Paddy is currently based in San Francisco in the United States of America, and over the last couple of years, Paddy has been Ireland's number one ranked trail runner in various competitions from the Trail Running World Championships, the Mountain Running World Championships. He's knocked up some incredible results on the Ultra Trail World Tour. He's won races over in America. He's won races down in South America, and many of you will know him from his superb documentary, Egg Chock the Wadi, Coming Home, about the fantastic community spirit in the Irish mountain running scene and of course his Wicklow round record-breaking attempt as well so without any further ado guys let's go and dial in the wonderful athlete and superbly interesting individual Paddy O'Leary. Paddy O'Leary you're very welcome to Trail Running Ireland. Paddy how are you keeping over there stateside? Ah, not too bad not too bad just got woken up by Mount Flynn at this awfully early hour of the morning. Nah, no, it's, not it, it, it's four o'clock where I am. I don't know. It's an early. Is it eight o'clock now? Over yeah, it's not too bad. It's, it's eight o'clock here in San Francisco, California. And, and Paddy, come here. Tell us how have things been over there over the last couple of weeks, and even more so over the last couple of days. A lot of tension over there at the moment. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like in the first part, like with the, we've been quite lucky on the west coast in terms of the pandemic. Our um, public health in our city and the state, California state, made a lot of early actions similar to Ireland to uh to kind of keep control of a lot of cases. And other parts of the country have seen huge spikes, but we're starting to reopen now. But then, kind of on a larger scale, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of conflict for with for reason across all across the U.S. at the moment, especially with some of the um some of the murders of, of African-American guys across um, um, further east in the country. There's been a lot of conflict in the middle part of the country and uh, people are protesting for, re- for a reason. So it's um, there's a lot there's a lot of issues here in the US that have been here for a long time and they're, maybe some people are only noticing them now, but they've been around for a long time and I don't know, people are starting to strike up about it. Um, but we hope people get through this safe and uh, that there'll be better people will be put in charge. I'm allowed to make a political statement of this. Oh, well, it's a dangerous mix over there at the moment, yeah. Paddy, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think that I think the whole world needs a better a better people people in charge of this country. I think. Yeah, um, and before we we start talking about trail running and 
and uh, and our own running dreams, Paddy, mm. maybe don't seem quite as important at, at the moment. Mm. Could you tell the guys what you're working on now? Because I know you're working on something very interesting and very important. Mm -hmm. So I moved over here as a, a researcher, postdoctoral researcher, where I'm working on cancer research. Um, the Helen Diller Cancer Center here at the University of California, San Francisco. And when the shutdown happened in early March, we um, we weren't able to go to the labs to do our normal work, but a whole group of researchers across the institution with all different kind of areas of expertise started working together on a new consortium where we were working on coronavirus and trying to figure out new ways to understand the disease and how it infects human cells, but also new ways to treat the disease. So I've been going into the lab um, the last couple of weeks where, um, to kind of understand we're we're doing these experiments where we're looking at how the human cell the virus infects the human cell and to see if we can use drugs that are already approved for other disease disease types and use them to uh to help either make the disease less less aggressive for people who have already have it or um to kind of prevent the prevent infection um but it's a lot of new learning uh it's virology is an area i don't know a huge amount about so there's been a lot of learning these last eight weeks which has been which has been really interesting. Um, but it's been cool to see a lot of researchers from different parts coming together and working on this. There's a, it's been one little kind of shining light that I think will come from this. And I hope that uh, people will get super stoked about science across the world. It's, it's really important. Yeah, well, it's great to hear that at, at a ground level that people are working together because certainly at a political level over in the States, it's the, it's the complete opposite, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, but there, there is some smart. There is smart people up there as well. One like, I don't know. I'm sure you have seen Tony Fauci and whatnot. The fellow who's in charge of the, um, the. I always forget the acronym, but the National Institute of Infectious Disease. He's been working in that position for forty years and has battled like the AIDS pandemic and the Ebola outbreak and things like that. So there is some smart people that are still there in charge, um, and influencing up there so it's good to see we have some 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 good people in there too yeah and the fact maybe that there's no races on at the moment and i'm sure your training is maybe toned down that you know when we're in race preparation mode a lot of the time so much of our energy goes into that and we can have tunnel vision where yeah. i suppose at least now you can enjoy the professional aspect of your job yeah. and and help the help the fight against yeah. CV nineteen, yeah. and um, yeah. maybe nice to be able to do that and not have to worry about races at the moment. Yeah, I think we'll probably get into this later, but I'm like a big advocate for balance, and sometimes it balances to so far on the racing side, and that like helps my own uh, my my professional life take, life takes a little step back, and sometimes it goes vice versa. But yeah, this is the time where I've been able to kind of yeah really focus in on that and focusing on uh, on the task at hand, which is which has been good. Okay, okay. Well, listen, Paddy, sure, we'll, we'll start talking about the trails and the races because you, you have a fascinating story to tell. And I mean, I, I must admit that as I was getting ready for the interview, I was a bit perplexed about how to go about it because, listen, myself included here, hands up, I'm the first guy just to have that tunnel vision of training, racing, focusing on my races, on my training. Um, a lot of the guys I've trained with over the years, being an Irish, <laughs> Irish team over the years, but we're all the same. But you're very different. Um, you have a wonderful, balanced outlook on life. And maybe to start off the interview, I'm going to throw the word serendipity 
at you. <laughs> it's a word that you used on one of your Instagram posts back in November to 2019. Um, and I think it's a great word to start off talking about your different sports achievements, from captaining the Irish lacrosse team to a European Championship final in 2012, to running a two-hour, 20-minute marathon of oh, very little specific road training, and going on to become Ireland's number one ranked trail and mountain runner. So for, for those of us that are a bit rusty on our honours level English leaving cert, um, remind us of what serendipity is. <laughs> oh, do I need to pull up the exact definition or my own interpretation? Your, your own interpretation. Interpretation. Do. Being in the right place at the right time, but I think another kind of layer to it is kind of recognizing you're in the right place at the right time and and kind of making something of that. Would you would you think that's a fair reflection without, of, your, without, of your sports career over the last maybe ten years? Without it. Without a doubt. Of, lacrosse, of the Irish lacrosse team and becoming one of the best trail runners in Europe and indeed the world. Yeah, like to give kind of like a Cliff Notes version of kind of my progression through serendipity into different levels of elite sport. When I went, when I moved to UCD to, um, to do my pharmacology degree, um, just by chance at the sports expo, I came across some interesting characters who were setting up the Irish lacrosse, uh, the UCD lacrosse team at the time. And that was the first club lacrosse club that had been in Ireland in over 100 years. And uh, I just got bantering with these lads and like, come out and try lacrosse. And I went out and tried it. And I was terrible. We were all terrible. We were the first team in the country. But we uh, just had great fun with that and made a couple of friends and then stayed with that sport. Um, but then we started getting into it and we started setting up clubs around the country and got involved in the first Irish team. And at the time, the Irish team was very, of course, the team was Irish-American. But that was... When I started into that sport, we had to track. We I went on my first flight abroad like a month later because we had no other team in Ireland. So to play a game, we had to fly somewhere else. So got a 40 euro Ryanair flight to Frankfurt and went and played a game over there and realized how internet, how the sport was developing internationally. Got super stoked on that. And yeah, it's in lacrosse is my thing for the next eight years. And then by chance, I was found out about this position when I was about to finish my PhD in UCD. Um, as kind of two things that happened at the same time. I found out about this position in San Francisco and applied for the job and came over here to work for a Scottish man, Martin McMahon, with Irish with an Irish mom actually. Um got working for him, but then just about six months before I moved over there, um one of my colleagues in the Conway Institute, who everyone in the Imra scene might know, Micah Micah, she uh, was like, and also Kieran Wine, who's also a regular Imra runner, they were like Paddy, we've seen you out like running to tag rugby and lacrosse. You seem to be running all over the place. You need to come out and try this uh, mountain running thing. I think you'd love it. And that spring, just before I moved over to the US, I came out and I did a couple of mountain races and I met a lot of the Imbra crowd, like uh, Mick Hanny and, and a lot of the different lads. And got super interested in this mountain thing. And then all of a sudden I moved to the US and like, I kind of got back into the lacrosse scene. But then when I moved over here, I serendipitously found this running group called the November Project, which is this free fitness running group that spread all over the US and over the world over the last eight years, where people just, volunteers lead these morning workouts in cities just to get people outdoors in their city and using their city as a gym and a playground. That had started in San Francisco, and I'd moved over a month or two afterwards, and I joined it and got involved in it and got met all my friends in it. And uh, that group was really into running and running on trails. So that's kind of got me back into trail running again. 
And did you ever have, as a child, Paddy, like a, a dream, say, to, to represent Ireland, whether, say, in, in football after watching Italia 90 or USA 94 or, Every you know, um, playing basketball for Ireland or running for Ireland after watching Sonia and Eamon and so on? Yeah. Did, did those thoughts ever go through your mind as a kid? So definitely every four years I was mad to uh, I was mad to be up there with, with Packy Bonner and Jason McAteer and whatnot in uh, at the World Cup if we'd qualified those years. Um, running, my dad was big into running, so he uh, he helped set up Bree Athletic Club back in Wexford and he was involved in community games. Um, and definitely like I grew up watching like the World Cross Country Championships and watching the Olympics and watching Sonia and Katrina McKiernan. Um, it never really crossed my mind because I never thought I was good enough to do it. Uh, obviously you'd picture yourself with the green jersey running around or, or playing football or playing rugby or whatever but I, I was not very good at sport as a young lad I felt because I felt it was more of a kind of on the on the smart the books the book side of things so like winning the All-Ireland I won the All-Ireland quiz championships in under 13 and under 14 the community games our, our breed team did so that's why I thought I'd be representing Ireland in the table quiz or something would be more like <laughs> right right uh, but you know we've spoken about maybe coming into these elite sports um, by chance. But you've obviously, you know, you obviously have this superb natural talent that you discovered maybe later on in life. Um, but becoming a top trail runner, becoming captain of the Irish lacrosse team, they don't just happen by, by chance. Um, do you also rigorously prepare and plan um, whether it was back in the day with the Little Cross team or for your races now, once you do put your mind to something and find that sweet spot, um, do you have that tunnel vision? I think so, yes. Um, for planning, like for especially for, like say, a sport like lacrosse, there's so much comes into it beyond like just your athleticism like because it's such a sport that's built around skills and also understanding your teammates and under and learning a lot from the teammates around you so that was definitely a part of my uh, development as a lacrosse player especially because we're playing the sport in a country that there wasn't that many experienced people in it so we had to learn we had to reach out to people all over the world to uh, learn um and then the same with i'm very fortunate with running here in the bay area san francisco bay area we've got some really talented um professional trail runners who were here over the last couple of years and I learned a huge amount from them I think for my progression the thing that has helped me the most was just falling in with the right communities of people who had like with all ranges of experience including elite athletes and learning from them so kind of learning from the best I think is something that's benefited me a huge amount yeah and when was the moment Paddy do you think that you actually realised that, wow, I have a bit of a talent here for this running up mountains and trails, Lark. Um, because if I'm right, you maybe only started kind of running seriously 2015, 2016? January, January 2015. Um, okay, yeah. 30K. So was, was there any one race result that was, that was right up there where you said, wow, I'm good at this and yeah. Yeah, I'm going to dedicate the next five, ten years to this? Yeah, so like over the next 16 months, I'd pushed up to 100k and I had like won a couple of, I'd run a 50k, I'd come top 15 at the scene at 50 miler, won a 100k in May 2016. But still at that stage, I kind of hadn't realized I could make the jump. I think it was the the North Face 50 miler uh, 2016, where I finished top 10 in that. And that's arguably the best, the, fa the fastest or the 
probably it was the most stacked 50 mile trail race in the world finishing top 10 in that also it was on home turf because here in san francisco was was pretty so that one it was kind of at that same time like august 2016 i came top five in the rut uh 50k sky race against a lot of international i was the like there was two french guys and a spanish guy and two alaskans and i think i was sixth so i was like the top continental north american in that um or contiguous north american based person in that and that was when i realized they could like roll with the best yeah um and i remember you mentioned north face there paddy i remember last year in chamonix at utmb and just when i got off the plane arrived in the bus to chamonix walking through the village and i saw this big massive north face 20 meter by 20 meter poster on the side of one of the, the village chateaus there, just in the middle of the town, with a picture of your face on it. And it, it was a fantastic moment because yeah. I remember just thinking, wow, there's one of our own. There's one of the Irish boys um, right beside the very best American trail runners, the best yeah. European um, runners. And like, a lot of people listening mightn't actually realize that in the sport of trail running, there's actually, there's, there's a lot of professional runners, there's a bit of money involved in it as well. And for any, say, you know, young Irish guys listening back home that might love the mountains, might love the trails, with hard work, with a bit of luck, with some good results, they might get the opportunity to become a professional trail runner. Yeah. So maybe could you talk us through how that opportunity came about for you with North Face yeah. and I think Goo Gels as well. Yeah, and good. maybe the, pro, the, the pros and cons, if there's any, of being... A professional trail runner. Yeah. So my kind of passage into it, um, North Face was my first like big jump at a, at um, working on a professional kind of context with a team. They were super involved in the November Project Group, which um, which I mentioned a few moments ago, and um, where they came involved, they were really wanting to try like use their kind of spread to build community fitness to get more people out on the roads and out in the trails, but we'll get more people out exercising. And at the time I was heavily involved in November Project Group, I was probably one of the, the fastest people in the, the, the worldwide November Project community. And I was also leading the group in San Francisco where the North Face was based. And yeah, they brought me on as an athlete because like I was having success in, at an international level, but also I had this community angle. So I was kind of transcending across the two things that were important to them, the athletic side and the community side. Um, when I joined that, my first experience with the North Face team was we have an athlete summit every year where they bring the climbers, the mountaineers, the skiers, the snowboarders, and the runners all together. And that was really great to come into like in this larger kind of community. It was a similar concept to Goo. It's multi, multiple sports and they really value community. Um, so yeah, I came involved and been involved with them for the last two or three years. And it's been great because they, they really foster kind of collaboration with different teammates, regardless of sports. Um, and they really foster kind of ideas of following kind of stories and passions. They really enjoy people with a story and a passion and people who embrace that story and passion. So then pros and cons of um, like it's at time, like say, for example, a con I'll probably start off with. Um, for people like myself that aren't able to, that don't concentrate on running full time, often you have a lot of guilt that are you giving enough to your sponsor because you're working full time as well. Um, are you able to train to the maximal level that you potentially could if you were doing this full time? But I think a lot of sponsors really appreciate like when you have someone who's also very passionate in another aspect of life and they often embrace that too. I found that with the with the with the groups I worked with. Um, 
but the pros the opportunities to travel and the, the support the travel and support to follow kind of goals and projects whether they're races or whether they're um rounds or whatever it's uh it really creates a lot of opportunity and also when you when you have a sponsor then races start becoming interesting and a race might help support you coming in but one thing is that like for an up-and-coming athlete what you have to do is you have to ask like don't be afraid of for reaching out to a sponsor to ask for support or reaching out to a race to ask for support but also recognize like they they like a race for example they want to grow and they want to to build their their kind of social media and whatnot so like also present them with what you can offer them as well because uh everyone wants to see this sport grow and everyone wants to see everyone get better whether that be a race or an individual or a community yeah and i know you mentioned social media there and i think for say any young irish um guys or girls listening in that are progressing through the ranks and maybe would like to try and get a sponsor on board would you agree that a social media presence is so important especially in the trail running world maybe more so than the road running yeah it's a i think it's a necessity in the trail running world to like to be to be noticed at least because um like in the road running world there's a lot more races that are like going to be on tv and more like and uh, things like that but in trail running as it stands though it's starting to grow and get more kind of popular on a sporting level races and organizations race organizations need people's individual so- social uh, accounts to really spread the word of our sport um so it's really important but also recognize that like if you have an, an active social media in a sport you're helping promote your sport you're helping this grow and if we all like when we all kind of get involved and start spreading the word and new faces start seeing new people start seeing the sport we're all contributing to the sport growing which is what we all want yeah absolutely and i know a lot of the spanish top pros they actually have um professional so social media people looking after their social media accounts and um, yeah. so they can just focus on their training focus on their races because if you have you know, 20,000 Instagram followers or 10,000 Facebook followers, you can imagine the amount of time and yeah. stress that might take up. Yeah. Um, do, do you find you have any of those problems, Paddy? What, what, what numbers are you nope. at now? <laughs> what am I at? Oh, jeez. Uh, I guess I'm seven to 8,000 or something in, in the, on the you're Instagram. Doing well. You're doing well. Uh, um, Twitter, you're, probably you're, what, what? I've probably about four or five on Twitter. <laughs> and Paddy, what's your favorite bit of North Face gear? Uh, in terms of North Face gear, like their apparel is kind of it was one of the best apparel companies in the world for for running in general. Not I wouldn't even say that just for trail running, but um, I think my favorite piece of gear is their uh, the jackets, the rain jackets they have. They just brought out the the Future Light jackets over the last year or two, and um, they're in a spectacular piece of gear. But I think my favorite piece of gear was back in 2016. They brought out these three-quarter length capris that I still am using the same pair that I got in the winter of 2016. And that pair of capris I wore for the Wicklow Round Award and some of my favorite races uh, here in the U.S. and my favorite summer or winter uh, adventures around the mountains here. So the November 2016 three-quarter length capri. Yeah, I, I know the exact ones you're talking about because half the photographs I've seen you and you have them on. Yeah. I mean, the documentary, yeah, I talked about you. I saw you wearing them as well, so, so yeah. it must be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Paddy, to continue on, on your running and trail journey, um, you had a super result the first time that you ran for Ireland in the Trail Running World Championships, first Irishman home, 26th. 
But then a short while after that, back to that word serendipity, mm-hmm. you smashed out a two hour, 20 minute marathon of very little training. I think I, I remember you saying that you did a couple of tempo runs on a tempo, on, on a treadmill, sorry, because you couldn't go outside because of the poor air quality at the time, because of the fires that were going on. But yet you smashed it a two hour, 20 minute time. I think, was it the American trial race as well? And the California International yeah, Marathon? Yeah, it was the, the California International Marathon. The California International Marathon. It was the, uh, the US Championships. Yeah, and if I'm right, you were about 68, which would have been, you know, that massive high competition there. So 68 is a superb result. But just to compare it, for example, in the same year, you would have been 15th in London. Yeah. that two hour 20 minute time so an incredible road achievement and i know subsequently paddy you had a massive conflict an uh, internal conflict whether the focus on the marathon after that incredible time of your your first proper attempt at it or to go back to the trails to, to chase to chase maybe an olympic qualification time mm-hmm. or to go back to the trails how did you handle that? How did you get through that decision? Yeah, so that was November 2018 um, or December. I think it was like December 1st, 2018 when I ran that 2.20. And I was maybe 80 seconds off what was the Olympic standard of 2.19 at the time. And over the next two or three months, and I think we talked about it quite a bit as well, um, it was talking about what, what to do, whether to spend the next year focusing getting to the 2.19 or running at 2.15, 2.16, which would probably needed to get the top three positions on the Irish team. And I was really considering taking six months off work and then either going to, like I was even like, I'd already been at talks about people about going to Iton and things like that to really focus down on it. And then in January, they released the new standards and they cut it down to 211 um, to be the standards. And at the time, like I had a long, like I spent weeks thinking about this and I realized that my true heart of this sport is in getting out into the mountains, is getting out into the trails. And I know running like, potentially having a chance to run in the Olympics is was is such a it's such a huge thing. It's what we grew up dreaming of, which you mentioned earlier. But in the mountains I get to wear an Irish jersey and I get to compete at the top level. And honestly with Pendiglosa I wanted to finish higher than that. Uh, we may talk about Patagonia, I wanted to finish higher than that. I think both of them I think I have top ten potential in world championship races. And I know I can compete at the best level at at trail running. And I also love getting out and running in the mountains and that's kind of my passion and having the physical ability to to do a certain thing is very important but also having the love and the heart behind it is as important if not even more important so that I think that kind of the cutting the them cutting down to the 211 was kind of the push towards realizing that wait actually I just love the mountains I, it's a great philosophy Paddy to have and I mean you could have tried for that Olympic dream but just imagine the strain that that would have put on your body as well to, to get down to 215 and then have to go again to, to 211. And we were sp- speaking with Rene earlier on just about the, you know, the, the higher injury risk of running on the roads and on, and on concrete. And I think the two of us are very much the same, that we still want to be running, competing, whether it's running for Ireland or not, you know, you know for the next five or ten years. And I genuinely believe you have a better chance by running on the trails and the mountains of staying relatively injury free, then, you know, really killing, pushing the body, then, then going for a 211 marathon. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I mean, completing a road marathon in a PB time, it is a superb feeling as well, mm-hmm. but it's high risk. It really yeah. is high risk. It was quite a contrast uh, seeing what my 2019 was instead of a, if I had went one direction, it would have been like running, like doing 100 mile weeks all on flat roads versus my summer of 2019 was spent practicing power hiking up and down four or 5,000 foot peaks uh, to get ready for UTMB. Definitely two, two contrasts of what could have been. Well, it's a perfect segue, Paddy, into UTMB last year. And I'd love for you to, to tell the listeners about that because I, I know, you know, with the talent that we saw in the previous couple of years that you were, you know, genuinely going for a top 10 and one of the favourites to get a top 10 as well. But the race didn't quite go according to plan. You had some stomach issues which is understandable as you're trying to get through 160 kilometers over three different countries, 10,000 meters of elevation gain, run through the night, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember seeing you get to the finish line and yeah. you, you were physically wasted, you yeah. know, and you, you, there's, a, there's a photograph of you, um, I think it's on your maybe Instagram page or certainly Facebook page of your face just after it. And you can see the turmoil that you've gone through. But I had the utmost respect for you that day because you suffered like a dog. Yeah. You still got to the finish line. Um, so can you tell us how mentally you got through maybe the toughest physical challenge you ever faced? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that so UTM was maybe I wanted it to be my first 100 miler, which uh, is probably an idiotic one to pick as your first. Um, but yeah, as you said, like I wanted, I was can be, I was wanting to get to that top ten spot. And I think when I got to Cormier, I was climbing. So about halfway through, it climbed up towards the top twenty. I'm like, yeah, I'm in a good place. But throughout the night prior to that, I started getting a uh, some. It was a warm evening and started having stomach issues, which I'd never had before. But I think because we were just going out at such a sustained pace early on in the race, I think it was just everything converged at once where it was a six stomach it was kind of warm it was the high intensity there was a nerve there was everything came together but stomach turned then i rallied i got going again by cormier and then it turned again um like one or two aid stations after cormier before the big climb and at that stage yeah i just wasn't able to get fuel in and i'd been running for what 14 hours 12 13 14 hours at that stage and the energy was gone coming out of our Nuva, like the only thing I was able to eat was soup and bananas. So some of my friends took a photo of me going up that big climb out of our Nuva and I have two bananas sticking out of my uh, out of my uh, my vest, which they were ripping the piss out of me to this day about that. But at that time, a lot of people around me were after dropping out. A lot of the elites were after dropping out. And first and, for- and foremost, we're there to get to the finish line. Everyone, of all the 2,000 people who were starting that line, their goal is to get to the finish. My stomach was sick. I was feeling like shit. I had no energy. Um, the race was kind of going away from me. But my legs could still move. If I kept walking, my legs could still move. I could get to the finish line. This was 12, 13 hours into the race. Feasibly, I was going to finish in around 24, 25, 26, 27 hours. I know people that were going to be out there for another 15 or 16 hours on top of that. So if you can still move and still go forward, you have to do that. Um, no is that something, Paddy, that you've worked on, or is it just kind of, you know, as the song says, born that way? I think born that way. Like, I'm, the, the, I, I know my, my ultimate goal to go into that race was to finish it. Um, yeah. Um, I was always going to get to that finish line unless I wasn't able to. 
Um, but if it can still move, you can get enough Coca-Cola in you that'll last you for a couple hours. You're just going to have a miserable couple hours after that, but you'll get more Coca-Cola into you, then you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, this year's race obviously cancelled. Would you like to go back, Paddy, again? Yeah. I want my next 100 miler to be UTMB, and I want to get a top 10 at that. And, and I firmly believe that you can, um, absolutely. Um, but you know, we, we have a long story um, still to get through, Paddy. So we'll, we'll park UTMB there for a second, um, and move on to your next adventures. So there, there, there's so many adventures over the last couple of years. It's going to be tight to get them all in. But I did want to mention um, the World Championships in Patagonia mm. and the tour of South America that you went on before the World Championship race. Um, what was it like? Um, competing in trail running races in Chile and Argentina um, I can only imagine how different it must have been to, to Ireland of course to Europe and even different to North America yeah yeah. Different. there's a lot of differences but there's a lot of similarities, I'll start with the similarity one thing, the trail running community regardless of where you go is so strong across the world, like last year I'm extremely fortunate where I got to race in five different continents and Every place I went, I was welcomed with open arms, regardless if there was language barriers, culture barriers, people would welcome you in and they were just stoked to get you out for some Hong Kong, in South America, in Ireland, in the US. People are just stoked to get you out on their home trails and share their backyard with you, which is something I absolutely love about this sport. And they're stoked to see people, regardless of whether you're an elite, true to a person that's fighting cutoffs, at every race, they're just stoked to see everyone get to the finish line and come to their city which I love. Uh, how did they treat you, Paddy? Because I know you had, was it two race wins when you were there? Yeah, so I did three races. I did one, one two, three. I did three races in the lead up to uh, up to World Championships. And um, and three race wins, actually. It was at a, at a couple on the trot, which was, which is, it was like I won the North Face Endurance Challenge in Santiago at 50K and with some stout competition, including uh, one of my teammates, Rob Crar. And that was my first ultra marathon win in like two years at like a high level ultra so i was pretty stoked on that and i was feeling good about kind of about my body in general and um, some challenges of that definitely the language barrier was i went down with the greatest intentions of learning spanish like your good self but um i didn't quite keep up with it so it was, there was definitely some interesting google translating happening because i was traveling on my own for two or three weeks uh, around patagonia but google translate is a wonderful thing it sounds like an amazing trip, Paddy, but then we got to the World Championships. We all met up over there, the Irish squad with Leo Mahan and Robbie Williams at the helm. And it was a wonderful couple of days. Uh, just the atmosphere amongst the Irish team and for the trail um, and mountain running World Championships. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you had three wins. You had three great races. You would have been traveling a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that you got to the World Championships tired? And, as was, and that was reflected in the 50th position that you came in. Yeah, without a doubt. From like the season started, even though I'm quite good with after a race, I have like three target races for a season. I usually take two or three weeks off after that. So after Hong Kong in January, I took three weeks off. After Wicklow Round, I took three weeks off in April. After UTMB, I took three weeks off. But I think that whole year and kind of heightened by the travel as well added up. And also... I think because I was trying to switch from at the end of August, I ran 170 kilometer race UTMB, um, which is a lot of power hiking through to trying to run a fast mountain marathon in November that I didn't appreciate 
how much of a difference there was there was between those two races and they're two completely different disciplines so i hadn't given myself enough time to switch across um so yeah underperformed like at that race i was going out with a top 10 goal as well and like about a third of the way and i was just outside the top 10 but then just the legs just ran out of we're yeah, gone. but you might have came 58 then which is still a very good result paddy but just to share with the listeners one anecdote from the finish line of that race and um, i remember i was there watching you come in and you know you could see that you were disappointed with the 50th position um but you, you spotted, um, I forget the nationality of the runner just ahead of you with about maybe 300 metres to go. And it, it's hard to describe. It, it was like the awakening of a lion. Um, it was like you opened up your lungs, your shoulders expanded, and you just sprinted home and took yeah. that guy down. And he tried to respond. Yeah. And I just thought it was so impressive physically, mentally, after running, what was it? Was it fifty kilometers, Paddy? Or uh, forty? It was like marathon. Yeah, marathon. After that, to still have the desire, the competitive edge, to make sure that you got your man, and that's yeah. something that you know myself and the shorter distance guys always try and say, even cross country races, yeah. make sure you get your man, and you got him. <laughs> Can you remember what what country he was from? Uh, he had a blue jersey, wasn't he? Yeah. Was he an Argentinian yeah. fella? Could, could have been, could have been. So uh, yeah, American anyway. So he was on home turf relatively. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was it was a good uh, scalp for the boys in green. Paddy, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad you like you just touched off cross country there. That's something actually I've started doing the last three years, and I think it's got me in the best shape of my life. Um, in the winter seasons, was doing cross country, and but also it gives gets you in great physical shape, but also gets you in really good mental shape because there's no suffering like a cross country race, and I think using that as training to apply it to ultra marathons, I think has stood to me so much because it can generate power and things like that at the end of a race and just the mental fortitude to like battle with someone. So I think that's something that's helped me out a huge amount um, with cross country training and I absolutely love it. That's why this year, the, the goal for this year was I was not going to do any long like 100k, 50 miler plus races. I was focusing down on short races like the Dipsy, OCC, Reek Skyline and then the World Championships in Lanzarote. Several of them have been cancelled, but I think that's still my goal for this year is to get fast over short stuff. Because I think through my Wickler around UTMB year, I think I lost a lot of my speed, which I built up coming up to CIM. So I think that's still kind of my goal for this year is I want to get want to get fast because I know I have that in me. Yeah. And um, how do you think you, you'll balance over the next, say, year to two years, Paddy, that, that desire to be one of the top 10, top mm-hmm. 20 trail runners in the world? But yet, with all the other passions that you have, um, the the film documentary making side of you, your your mm. love for developing the trail and mountain running community, mm. um, do, 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 you, do you see that as a conflict in any way? Do you think you can you can be one of the best ten trail runners in the world, um, with the fantastic natural talent you have, combined with all those other factors as well? I think so. I think so. I think a huge part, like within. I think it's only you can do I can do the physical training for to compete at the highest level of sport like with in the trail world tour like it, the current kind of strategy we have we're balancing like life and community and running of finishing the top 10 of Ultra Trail Cape Town uh, Hong Kong 100 Labrador a sixth place in that and like doing well to wiggle around and I think yeah I think you can we can definitely apply that and I think maybe if I didn't if I didn't have these extra focuses on like developing community or 
like fun projects like the Wickler Round, I think maybe I won't be, I may not be as stoked about it, uh, about a sport to be able to train and compete at the highest level and have yeah. the will, the want to do it. Because I think it's something I get so much out of being part of the community, seeing the community grow and helping seeing other people do well in this sport. I get so much from that personally. I think it helps a lot with my own individual performance. Yeah, well, I think a happy runner is going to be a successful runner, aren't they? Because yeah. I think that the more we're stressed out, the, the more cortisol we have in the body, the more tension we have in our muscles and the more injured we end up being. So, yeah, yeah absolutely, buddy. It sounds like a good plan and good plan. Um, the, we mentioned coming home, uh, Chakta Awalia. Um, Paddy, it's been an incredible success. Yeah. You've got over 50,000 views online. Last time I looked, I'm sure it's probably more now. You've got some great um, critical reviews of it, picked up a couple of awards as well. But, but like any good champion, I'm sure you're thinking of season two and the next season and the next competition. So is there any coming home like Chakta Awalia number two on the way? It'd be Chakta Awalia, Arash Arish, back again. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where are you thinking of heading to? Breaking 15, eh? It's definitely on my mind. Like, Gav, I'm definitely going to go for it sometime. I just don't know when it's going to happen. Um, but I'm coming. I'll come for you, Gavin Byrne. Maybe I'll just wait till I'll wait till Gavin or Shane go for uh, go for the record at the at <laughs> the ranking round, and then I'll come back and try beat them by four minutes. Um, yeah, it's making the plans for like the next thing has definitely become much more challenging as of late with the the current kind of global climate. Um, so I'm, I'm on, like at some stage I want to come back and do the Wickler round at some stage I want to come back this year I was going to come back in July to help Robbie with Reek Skyline race Reek Skyline which I was super excited to race and then the following week we were talking about going in to try to see how many rounds or how many mountains in the Reeks we could do in, in a day um, so I have two maps here behind me actually where I was looking doing a little bit of organize, uh, looking uh, like logistics for that that's something I'd like to do in the future but it's hard to know when when we can do a lot of these things there's kind of some things are kind of more important than the thing sure Help. what's the Help. status on the Reek skyline at the moment Paddy is it um, um, postponed for the moment or is it still postponed. going on postponed for the moment but I think they're still trying to fit in where where in the later window it could end up being like from from August onwards I think last time I heard what sport in Ireland will start to resume in August but I think it's likely that that'll only be on the running side of things it might be more only more than navigation stuff it's kind of a, the 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 kind of the threshold to move on to the next stage is kind of it's quite dynamic, so it's hard. I understand the the, the difficulties for people organizing sport in our, in across the world now. It's so challenging, but yeah. And yeah. um, for the for the running community back home in Ireland, then um, Paddy, do you have any thoughts, any any ideas on how we can continue to grow the sport of trail running, given the experience that you have in North America, um, what you saw in South America as well? Any thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, one thing I think valuing the youth and getting the youth into the sport is the most important thing. I think both in Ireland and the US, I think it's still adding, there is no real youth trail running or there there is youth trail running, but it's extremely small and it's only growing. And I know they're making some a lot of effort in Ireland to do that now and they're starting to do that in the US. But like when we go to UTMB, you see that those kids races, there's hundreds of kids from four years old up to 17 jumping into races but they've also been doing this sport for like the 
the platform has been there for decades. I saw the same thing in South America. They had it, many of the races I went to, they had youth races as well. So thinking focusing down on the youth, which is something that we're starting to do in Ireland. I know like Sarah and Paul were over doing clinics. Miriam is doing a lot of work kind of developing the youth program. I think everyone getting in and focusing on that is going to be really important because then we're going to see lads like Rory Long, who, you're, who you chat to quite a bit on this, coming through and younger lads again coming through too because when you have the kids coming out of 17 18 who are starting to battle with the the kind of the older guard they push us we push them and we have a sustainable recycling of athletes into them like if we want to succeed at the national level we need youth coming in and more competition more i think more like building the level of competition at races at home and like really focusing in and having like getting our best people out to the best races in ireland because then that also helps when you've got, when you're trying to promote a sport to people outside the trail running, the, the kind of tight mountain running community we have, because we want people kind of just outside the sport to get super psyched about a sport, because that gets more people in. We're starting to see that in the US now, where like they've, we built kind of the promotion of a lot of sports where people who aren't runners will come out to watch the North Face 50 miler or Western states, things like that. So it's like just building the stature of a sport and getting more youth involved. Yeah, uh, I totally agree, Paddy. And I know I've been talking to Miriam Maher from Imra offline a little bit as well. And we're hoping to have Miriam and maybe one or two of our junior squad members on the show to tell us about what they're doing as well. So I mean, if there's anybody listening that has teenagers and um, that have any interest in the mountains and the trails, you know, look up the Imra website, look, at, look up when the next race might be on once all the restrictions are, are lifted and get in touch with them because they're a great place to start. Yeah. And it really is, I mean, such a wonderful sport. Here we are, Paddy, we're talking about your trips to Chile, Argentina, the great community that you've met in North America and San Francisco. And I think any trail runner probably has a, a list of at least five countries that they visited for racing or that they've made friends in. So uh, it's a wonderful sport. And, yeah. and just a, a final thought on it is that for anybody that didn't listen to episode three with Sarah, that might have maybe a young daughter at home. Like if you're looking for a role model yeah. for our female athletes, uh, listen to Sarah talking. She's, she's done incredible work over the last 10 years. And um, it'd be great to see the, the junior girls team and the, and the girls senior team get stronger and stronger as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Paddy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like I've gone on a globe trotting trip around the world from from Dublin to, to Wexford to, to America, to South America. Uh, it's been a fascinating journey and you, you have an incredible story to tell. And I, I, looking for, I look forward to, to seeing and listening to the next couple of chapters. And I can't let you go, Paddy, without asking you our final question that we ask everybody on the show. Um, what is your favorite place to train in? Cronin's Yard, down in Killarney. The photo of the McGillicuddy Reeks. That's wow. such a spectacular place. Well, I'll tell Robbie Williams to get the coffee on, whatever biscuits you like, and uh, I'm sure he'll be waiting for you once you get back home next time. Tell uh, Esther Cronin to have the scones ready. I will do, Paddy. Paddy, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I really look forward to the day when I see you achieving your goals um, in the trail running world and and you know hopefully breaking into the top 20 mm-hmm. maybe even the top 10 and um, you certainly have the ability to do so so all the very best with your journey over the next couple of years excellent and thanks so much for doing this and for having me on the show it's great having a 
kind of a the the podcast kind of been a voice telling the stories of people in the Irish trail running community so we can get more people involved in this sport as well so thank you guys for this look after yourself buddy over there take care cheers take care Well, there you have it, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Paddy. Um, what an incredible athlete and a fascinating person as well. And we look forward to what Paddy will be doing over the next year or two. And I'm sure everybody is looking forward to seeing Paddy back on home soil very, very soon, hopefully. A big thank you for listening once again, everybody. If you have any ideas about the podcast, anybody you would like to see interviewed on the podcast, please do let us know. A big thank you once again to our podcast sponsor, Ecotrail Wicklow. Do check them out on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram lots of posts going up there very very regularly and a big thank you to Shane O'Mahony from Cork on Drums and his very cool band Basic Needs who supply us with our podcast soundtrack everybody have a great week get your running gear on let's go it's a lie. I cannot buy it.